From the capital city, I'm Kevin Allen. A memorial service to remember the 21st anniversary of the 9-11 attacks on New York, Washington, D.C., and Shanksville, Pennsylvania, was held Sunday at Riverside Rotary Park in Juneau. News of the North spoke to first responders and police, fire, and emergency medical services leadership about the gravity of the day. CCFR Chief Rich Etheridge recounted where he was when he learned of the attacks in 2001. I was uh, just getting off night shift uh, working for the state troopers at the time and uh, just just getting ready to go to bed when my wife came and uh, grabbed me and said I had to come see the TV and then we just kind of sat there the entire day uh, in front of the TV just you know amazed and you know horrified at what was going on. Etheridge spoke to the importance of remembering those who made the ultimate sacrifice. We lost 343 uh, firefighters that day, Um, folks that uh, went up into the tower that knew there was a high likelihood they weren't going to come back down. You know, they they knowingly made that sacrifice trying to help people, and they did help, you know, hundreds if not thousands of people evacuate, and, uh, um, you know, the the legacy they left behind for their families and others is is just, uh, they're, they're true heroes to follow. Assistant Fire Captain John Adams quoted former President George W. Bush and said that we should never forget. I believe that uh, we should, like President Bush said 21 years ago, never forget. And this is a way for us to reaffirm our commitment to the community. And it's a great chance for the community to see us out in public besides our calls. General Police Lieutenant Craig Campbell spoke about why 9-11 is so important to him and others. You know, I think days like this, they're just kind of always... similar to other events where we just take time to pause in our daily lives and just kind of remember the things that have happened before and uh, give honor to those that came and gave their lives for such tragedies like this. So I think it's really important for us to just kind of stop and pause and, and remember. All made their remarks during the memorial service to 9-11 yesterday. Alaska is second in the nation as far as rates of suicide. That was Tina Diaz's Samanago. Juno Suicide Prevention's program coordinator. She talked about the suicide awareness barbecue on Saturday afternoon in Juneau. This is International Suicide Prevention Awareness Day. What we want for this event to bring is community supporting community. So we're a coalition. We have many, many partners and we've all come together and orchestrated this beautiful thing to support the community, bring awareness to suicide as well as some of our prevention efforts and break the stigma of suicide. Isku, a local multicultural dance group, danced and drummed. Diasis Samanago said how they are breaking the stigma. Being able to talk about it, being able to come in the public and we have canoe journeys that are happening. Those journeys were set up specifically for folks that had been affected by suicide. So it's the first reservations are for suicide, loss survivors, and attempt survivors. And she shared what else is planned for Suicide Month. All month long, we have displays up and resources in all three libraries. Zach Gordon, there will be an art activity for our youth. Another big partner is the Juno School District, and we do signs of suicide in the high schools and are just starting to do that again in the middle schools. She added that Juno Suicide Prevention has community classes on how to recognize signs and how to provide safe support.
The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services is making $35 million available in grants to Native Americans to help implement a nationwide mental health crisis hotline. The announcement Friday came after federal officials visited Pueblos in New Mexico to hear from the communities about health care needs. The 988 hotline went live in July. It's designed to be an easy number to remember, similar to 911. The hotline connects callers with trained medical health counselors. The money available to 574 federally recognized tribes will have a limited reach with up to 100 grants awarded. The deadline to apply is October 25th. Federal data shows Native Americans and Alaska Natives are disproportionately impacted by suicide. Huna may see its last AML barge for a while starting next month. News of the North reached out to AML to inquire about its schedule to Huna and was told that the last sailing this year could be leaving Seattle on Friday, October 14th. Brian Lackey, who sits on the Huna City Council and works for AML, spoke about the predicament on Thursday night. I met with the, my boss and stuff from AML and we were talking about this winter schedule. It's not looking very good, so I just wanted to let the board know what's going on in the community. So our last barge is going to be October 20th for the season. Last winter, we hired a company called Bowhead to come in and fill the gap um, that they weren't going to run until April. Um, they've declined to, to do it this year. So we don't right, as of right now, we don't have any scheduled barges throughout the wintertime. A lack of ferries may also be in the cards, like he said. It's been an unofficial announcement so far, but it looks like we're not going to get any ferry service from January 1st to March 4th. So our town, you know, we're going to be hurting a little bit, and uh, I don't know what other kind of avenues that, there's, that we can take. News of the North reached out to Department of Transportation spokesperson Sam Dapsovich. He said there should be no service gap for HUNA during the winter schedule. General Representative Sarah Hannon spoke to seeing the first full use of the new ranked choice voting system while a guest on Action Line. She noted the open primary system, which replaced the previous party primary. The primaries, one of the, the issues was should political parties control whose names go before all voters? Because in a closed primary, there were restrictions on who could vote on the Republican ticket or could vote on an open ticket. And way back when I was first a voter, Alaska had all open primaries, like this ballot initiative. So you didn't just in. get a Republican you ballot did not have a Repu ballot? Nope. You had a, and it said everybody's name, and you could vote in, you know, one race in a – Republican and another race a Democrat and another race a Green Party. It was all one ballot. Now that changed more than 20 years ago. Ranked choice voting was approved by Alaska voters in 2020 via a citizen initiative. Hannon explained that the legislature cannot make any adjustments to the voting system until after two years of the law being in effect. The legislature is the prime authority for writing laws, right? The governor doesn't write a law. He gets the final say in a veto or not a veto or letting the law become the law without his signature. But the other mechanism is a ballot initiative led by the citizens, a citizen initiative. And that's how ranked choice voting and an open primary got on the ballot in Alaska. Um, enough signatures to put on a ballot and then enough people voted for it. Our law about ballot initiatives in Alaska says 
legislature can't then come in and once you've passed into law something by ballot initiative, citizen, the, the legislature can't come in and change it for two years. You've got to let it go into effect and see how it is. Juno Representative Sarah Hannon. Members of the American Society of Civil Engineers came to Juneau Saturday to hold a dedication at the City Museum for the Salmon Creek Dam. It was awarded landmark designation from the Society of Civil Engineers. The award recognizes historically significant civil engineering projects, structures, and sites. Lawrence Magura, Society Director, said that over 240 projects worldwide have been honored through the program. Today, ASCE is proud to recognize the Salmon Creek Dam, completed back in 1914 in support of the Alaska Gold Mine Project and the Juneau Gold Belt. This remarkable structure is the world's first, and that's what really the History Heritage Program is trying to um, memorialize, is the first of something. And in this case, it was a constant angle, thin arch, concrete dam. Uh, its creation heavily influenced the work of a generation of hydraulic engineers and served as a prototype for an expanding class of concrete dams that ultimately included Hoover Dam. The Alaska Gas No Mining Company set out to build the Salmon Creek Dam to supply low-cost hydropower to run their operations. Planning for the construction of the dam began in 1911, as site investigations were made in the area. By 1914, the dam was completed and operational. Today, AELMP continues to operate the Salmon Creek Hydro Project. Salmon Creek's average production is about 30 million kilowatt hours each year. And according to the ASCE, it provides about 7% of Juneau's electric power. Water from the project also provides about a third of the city's municipal water supply. Sites must be nominated in order to be a civil engineering landmark. Papers used to further a nomination of the dam are written by the late Scott Willis, who was a civil engineer with AELMP. A physical plaque will be placed on site at the dam, as well as a plaque honoring Willis. The executive director of Travel Juno and resident participants in Ironman Alaska spoke at the Juno Chamber last week for an after-action forum on the capital city's first year of holding the event. About 1,000 athletes came to Juneau, and of the 1,500 volunteer positions needed for the triathlon, 90% were filled by residents. That's according to Executive Director at Travel Juneau, Liz Perry. She said they will soon be debriefing with Iron Man about logistical considerations. We did have you know, some logistical considerations. There, you know, we have, uh, we'll be debriefing really in-depth with Iron Man probably in the next couple to three weeks and talking about lodging and talking about airlift and talking about you know, all those logistical pieces uh, that we have to have in play and get you know, those things kind of smoothed out um, for, the, for the next round for 23. We do have a three-year contract, so the date has already been set for 23 for August 6th for race date. So put that on your calendars. Iron Man's operational materials like food, utility vehicles, rentals, signage for DOT was sourced through local and regional vendors. According to Perry, it was 85 to 90 percent of their procurement. Another Juno runner was Jeff Rogers. He is also the finance director for the city and borough of Juno. He said in a month they will know more in understanding the event's economic value, but estimated that seven to eight million dollars of local activity can be associated with out-of-town participants. 
sort of makes sense to me, somewhere in the range of seven or eight million dollars of local activity that associates directly to out-of-town participants in the race. Um, eight million dollars would be four hundred thousand dollars worth of sales tax, so that's you know both an, uh, an indication of the economic impact and the impact on CBJ coffers, and then some additional amount that will come back to us specifically in hotel bed tax. Uh, could could that could be a big number? I think it could be as much as seventy to a hundred thousand dollars, probably just from the the one week. Rogers said he was surprised by the number of out of town participants staying for longer than the day of the event. He believes the vast majority of them stayed for a week or longer. According to Perry, some participants were also traveling to Anchorage and Ketchikan after the event. As for future races, Perry advised that Juno's biggest risk is rental prices. Our biggest risk is inflated hotel prices and inflated Airbnb prices. If we can't get people housed so that they don't feel like they're getting gouged, they won't come. Yeah. And when those registration numbers drop, Iron Man's going to be out of here. Iron Man Alaska is considered a qualifying race for the World Championships. It offered 45 slots to go to the Iron Man race in Kona, Hawaii, October 6th through the 8th. The Kathy Colcourse Ruddy Awards for the Arts were announced at the Jack's last fresh air market of the year Saturday afternoon. Laura Miko, Jack Artists Coordinator, talked about the event. So the Kathy Colkirst Ruddy Awards honors people in our community who have done exceptional things this last year and were nominated by their fellow community members. Since this is the last market of the year, we thought it would be a great time to celebrate and hand out our awards. Reggie Schapp, Jennifer Quinto, Laura Amico, Nancy DeCherney, Annie Bartholomew, Kim Champy, and Abel Ryan announced the awards. The award for education in the arts. This year's award goes to Michael Busey. Congratulations to you, Theater Alaska, and thank you for all the art that you bring to our community. Innovation and inspiration in the arts to Melissa Leanne Griffiths for Leanne Bakes. Annie Calkins has lived and worked in education in Alaska since 1972. Please award Ushkin Dane Dutt Lily Hope Weaver Studio, the Kathy Colhorst Ruddy Award in Business Leadership. Charles Rohrbacher, the lifetime that he has spent really contributing art. On the board of the Jack, president of the board, and I am presenting an award to Bing. Bing has been a fantastic volunteer for the Jack, beginning with wearable art. Miko said what's coming up next for the Jack. We will have two markets coming up this fall and winter. We have our pumpkin spice and everything nice market with October 21st. And then we'll also have a market uh, in December, on December 10th, which is our stuffed market. It is a huge market. All the vendors are selling things $25 or less. It's that last minute shopping market. And Never miss a story or a newscast at KINYradio.com. Now you're up to date. For News of the North, this is Kevin Allen.